Psalm 15. And we're going to read the <clears throat> entire psalm. Only five verses. Well, let's read it together. Uh, all five verses, pausing briefly at the punctuation marks. Psalm chapter 15, the Word of God says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt, and changeth not. He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent, he that doeth these things shall never be moved. Let's pray. Lord, powerful words. Every time I read this chapter, I'm moved by the list of things that you want to see in your people if they want to dwell with you. And I pray tonight that you'd give me the words to say and us the ears to hear and that we would become more like Christ and pleasing to Thee because of the message tonight. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> you may be seated. Psalm chapter 15 gives us ten characteristics that God requires of those who want to dwell with Him. Isn't that what the Bible says? Lord, who shall abide in Thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in Thy holy hill? This could be looked at as a list that, hey, if you want to earn your way to heaven, you got to make sure you tick all these boxes, uh, which we know is impossible. But I want to propose this chapter to you a different way this evening. And John chapter 15 speaks about abiding with Christ, dwelling with Christ. This chapter speaks about dwelling in the holy hill, dwelling or abiding with God. And this dwelling found in this verse is akin to the word abiding as discussed in John chapter 15. And I want you to look at this chapter tonight through this lens, and that is biblical ethics. Biblical ethics. I ask you a question tonight. Are you an ethical person? You say, I don't know, what's it mean to be ethical? <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that. You know, the sad thing is, ethics aren't really mentioned in today's culture. You know, when I was growing up, it was important to be ethical. In business, there are ethical businessmen and there are unethical businessmen. In ministry, there are ethical preachers and unethical preachers. In churches, there are ethical members and unethical members. And the Bible talks about the importance of being ethical or living by ethics. And when you study the scripture, you'll find that if you want to partner with God, you need to be ethical. 
If you want to abide in Christ, there is a list of qualities that have to be maintained and fulfilled for you to abide in Christ. You find those in John chapter 15. And here tonight, we find a a list of ethics that God says, if you want to partner with me, if you want to dwell with me, if you want to abide in my holy hill, then this is what I'm expecting. You know that God wants to partner with you? All throughout the scripture, you find that God wants to partner with you. I've got way too much time to cover tonight, and I think I'm talking to a church that you understand the the desire of God to partner with you. The second Chronicles chapter 16, the Bible goes so far as to say the eyes of the Lord go to and fro across the whole earth looking for one whom God may show his strength or power in. God is looking for people to partner with, but he is not going to give his power to just anybody. He's not going to give the true riches to just anybody. The Bible says in the New Testament, if you can't take care of mammon, how's God going to trust you with the true riches? Uh, we've learned that money in the Bible is a, is a litmus test. It's a, a test that God uses to determine our ethics in some ways and where our heart is. And so all through the scripture, you see this idea of God wanting to partner with us. Timothy talked about the fact that in, in your house, you have clean vessels and dirty vessels and If you want to be a clean vessel for the Lord, if you want to be a vessel meet for the master's use, then you need to be clean and usable. All through the scripture, we find this concept. And it's almost as if in this chapter, God is saying, I want to be able to trust you. Here's how you earn my trust. Here are 10 things that I expect to see in the people who want to abide with me. Now, let me just say, I'm glad that we don't have to tick these boxes in order to go to heaven. Amen? Nobody's going to go to heaven because they keep these ten character items or have the right ethics or try to do a good job. Uh, Folks, if you wanted to earn your way to heaven, you blew it the first sin you ever made. And those days are long gone. Only... Through saving faith in the person and work of Christ, can someone go to heaven? Amen? The Bible's very clear about that. If you could get to heaven any other way than Jesus died in vain, Galatians chapter 2 tells us. So to say that you can get to heaven some other way than through the shed blood of Jesus Christ is actually a great affront to the sacrifice of Christ. No, Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Faith in Him as the Son of God and His work, death, burial, and resurrection. So this isn't saying if you want to go to heaven to us, the application for us here today is not saying if you want to go to heaven, do these things. No, but we find here a list of ethics that God expects from us. Now, why are ethics necessary? Every endeavor requires a system of rules to be productive. The best athletes in the world are governed by the rules of their sports. Imagine watching your favorite sport and everybody's just doing their own thing. Would that be fun to watch? No, they have to, they have to use their gifts and talents within the system. Imagine watching the Olympics and the 400-meter race comes on and they all line up at the, at the starting line and they, they get in their stance and the gun raises and the official pulls the trigger and the gun shoots and everybody runs off in different directions. 
there. That wouldn't be fun to watch. Right now they're in the football uh, championships this weekend. I, I didn't get to see the game today. I'll probably watch some of the highlights and find out who won tomorrow. But there's 22 people on the field, 11 on each team at any given time, and they're all working within the rules of the game. And the officials are there to point out when someone breaks the rules, blows a whistle, throws a flag, offsides, false start, holding. What are they saying? They're making people accountable to the rules because every successful endeavor requires a system of operation to function. Not only are those two teams playing by the rules of the game, they have the rules of their own system. Every team has a playbook and the the quarterback gets in the huddle and they all gather around. He's red 45, yellow slant 30, and they're all like, break, and they go up there and everybody knows what that means. And everybody does their perspective job For the play call, that's the only way a team works, is if people can be relied upon to do what they're supposed to do. But there's a whole other layer of ethics. We all know good athletes who aren't good team players. They can't get along with their own team. Nobody wants to play with those people. So you have another ethical system going on among the team Are they a good teammate or are they lousy to work with? And the truth is, folks, ethics aren't just found in one place. There are layers of ethics that can be applied throughout every relationship at your job, at church, going to the grocery store, dealing with the clerk at the bank. Ethics are important. Now, what are ethics? Ethics as defined by Webster's 1820 Dictionary, is simply this, a system of moral principles. Or he goes on to say, a system of rules for regulating the actions and manners of men in society. So ethics come from the Greek word ethos. It simply means uh, ethics are a system to direct proper action. This is how we're supposed to act in this situation ethics. There's ethics in marriage. If you don't keep them, them, your marriage can fall apart. There's ethics for children to parent and so on. And so we need a moral system to guide our behavior. And whenever you fit into this moral system that God has designed, there are blessings that go along with that If you violate the moral system that God has designed, there are repercussions and consequences of that. But what is God's moral system? The truth is you find layers of ethics again in the scripture. The Ten Commandments would be a system of ethics on how we relate to God and how we relate to our neighbor, our fellow humans. But what's unique about Psalm chapter 15 is we find here ten examples of biblical ethics. And these these elements of biblical ethics are the foundation for all other ethics. So what I'm saying is that you can take these ethics and these become the foundation for how you treat your spouse. 
There are other ethics, there are other moral guidelines to be laid on top of that, but if you don't have these, you're not on solid ground. This is good way to, it's, it's the moral foundation for how you should act as an employer or an employee. It's a good moral foundation for how you respond and, and react uh, and, and interact with your fellow church members. It's the foundation of how you become a, a successful member of a community. And so these are foundational elements of biblical ethics. If you get these things right, you'll be blessed. Matter of fact, look down at the promise, the last sentence in chapter 5. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. What a promise. If you learn to do these ten things, if you'll put these things into your character and make this part of your moral operating system, you will be blessed your entire life. That's pretty good, isn't it? Now, I don't have time to give you a, a full dive into each one of these. Each one of these things could be its own sermon. I'm just going to give you an overview tonight, and you can look into these things yourself. And, and really, what I'd like you to do is maybe in the margin of your Bible, right next to this chapter, Biblical Ethics. And I want you to begin praying about making these things just a part of your moral character, that these would be some of the rules that guide our actions and manners among people. Let me give these to you. Number one, walk uprightly. If you want to be blessed, if you want to partner with God, if you want to have a, a good relationship with God, good relationship with others, if you want to never be moved, then you've got to learn to walk uprightly. Look at, at Psalm chapter 15 and verse 2. We see the first one, he that walketh uprightly. Now the upright man, again, I just got to give you a quick, uh, a quick uh, introduction to these things. The upright man is one who's decided that his life will be characterized by honesty and integrity. The Leaning Tower of Pizza, Pisa, my kids used to call it the Leaning Tower of Pizza. The Leaning Tower of Pisa is famous because it is a building that's not upright. It's crooked. Most buildings, you want them to be upright. Same thing about people. You want them to be upright. You don't want to be a crooked person. And this is the upright man is one who's characterized by honesty and integrity. I'll just give you these verses. You can write them down if you're taking notes. Proverbs 11.3, the integrity of the upright shall guide them. So uprightness has to do with integrity. And we define that today in, in Sunday school. It speaks of completeness. You want to be a mature person, a whole person. You want to be well-rounded morally and, and in character, an upright person. Proverbs 11.20 says, They that have a froward heart are abomination to the Lord, but such as are upright in their way are His delight. God loves upright people. God loves people that say, if that's the thing, if, if that's right, that's what I want to do. Do you want to do right? You should. Find out what's right and do it. He that walketh uprightly. Number two, if you look at Psalm chapter 15, verse 2, 
You see, he that walketh uprightly in the second phrase, and worketh righteousness. So number one is walk uprightly. Number two is work righteousness. Now, what does it mean to work righteousness? We work righteousness when we decide that we will live habitually doing what is right. Righteousness is simply what is right. When we are righteous, we are doing what God says is right. So integrity has the, has the idea of, of your, your moral makeup, your character. Righteousness focuses more on the action. Just do the right thing. Just do right. The Bible teaches us how to be righteous. 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. You say, preacher, how do I know what's right? The Bible tells you what's right. It'll instruct you in righteousness. All right, so these are foundational elements of biblical ethics. Number one, walk uprightly. Take repeated steps, being upright, seeking, striving to have moral integrity and character. Number two, work righteousness. Habitually do the right thing. Number three, look at Proverbs, excuse me, Psalm chapter two, excuse me, Psalm chapter 15, verse two. I'm trying to go too fast for you. And I'm, I'm getting myself all tied up here. Psalm 15, two. He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness, and this is number three, and speaketh the truth to his neighbor. Is that what it says? No, it's not what it says. And speaketh the truth in his heart. That's why this this verse is so foundational. This phrase is so life-changing because we know over and over the Bible says, speak truth to your neighbor. Be honest. But this verse says the first person you need to be honest with is yourself. So number three, biblical ethics, be honest with yourself. Speak the truth in your heart. Satan's a liar, isn't he? But do you know our sin nature's a liar? Do you know your flesh will lie to you to get what it wants? Your own flesh will stab you in the back to fulfill its lust, not having any thought about your actions impact on your future, on your family. It cares nothing for any of those things. You will lie to yourself. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? This means that I, as much as I know I'm a sinner, as much as I know that I'm capable of deceiving myself, I have no idea about the deceitfulness of my own heart. I have no idea. As much as my flesh has betrayed me, I have no idea the links of wickedness that my own heart would go to if it was unrestrained. And I'll lie to myself and everybody else to get it. That ought to scare you. What's the answer? Speak the truth in your heart. Be honest with yourself. I said this morning, the best liars are the ones who deceive themselves. 
we must learn to be brutally honest with ourselves. Are you soft with you? Part of the problem with mankind is we're hard on others and easy on ourselves. And it ought to be the other way around. If you're going to be hard on someone, be hard on you and give other people grace. Listen to this statement. If you tell yourself the truth, you won't have a problem being honest with others. If you tell yourself the truth, you won't have a problem being honest with others. That's true. Be brutally honest with yourself. Speak the truth in your own heart. Your own self-talk must be honest. That doesn't mean put yourself down. It doesn't mean be negative or cynical. It means be honest with yourself. All right, number four. We see number four, don't talk about people behind their backs. Well, that's a pretty good ethic, isn't it? Number one, walk uprightly. Number two, work righteousness. Number three, speak the truth in your heart. Be honest with yourself. Number four, don't talk about people behind their backs. Well, that's just a good rule of thumb, isn't it? Look at Proverbs 15, verse 3. He that backbiteth not with his tongue. Now, the word backbiteth just means talking about people behind their backs, but I, I love the word because it's so visual it's literally like biting someone in their back. Someone turns away from you and you reach out and, ah, <laughs> you know, I've been bitten before in fights. That was before Jesus, amen? Uh, biting's not cool, by the way. It's far better to learn how to throw a nice punch than to bite people. Um, that's another class. That'll be a Sunday school next week. Uh, you know one of the worst ways to bite people is you bite them in the heart behind their back. Don't talk about people behind their back. It's a really bad habit to get into. Don't be the one that does it. And number two, don't be the one that listens to it. Sometimes we feel like we're helping people when we listen to their gossip. But oftentimes what happens is we just get poisoned by the gossip ourselves. That's right. Don't get sucked into it. True. And so don't say anything to someone, don't say anyone about someone that you would not say to their face. It's a pretty good rule of thumb. Is that how you live? Don't say anything about someone that you wouldn't say to their face or you haven't said. Go to the person first. That's the biblical method. If you have a problem with someone, go to them. You can never fix a problem by going to someone else unless they are part of the solution. Right. If you see a child do something wrong, go to the parent. They're part of the solution. Don't go to your friend who's not their parent and not part of the solution. And so these are ethics that are just foundational. If you're not part of the solution, perhaps you shouldn't talk about people's problems at all. Proverbs 10.18 says, He that hideth hatred with lying lips, and he that uttereth a slander is a fool. A slander and backbiting are synonyms. Proverbs 11.9 says, A hypocrite with his mouth destroyeth his neighbor. Boy, what a strong language. Imagine destroying someone with your mouth. Running them down, beating them up, stabbing them, gnawing at them with your words. I don't know if it's true or not, but, you know, 
And the, the real spiritual people are like, you know, I, I just want you to pray for so-and-so because you'll never guess what they did. You know, and it's almost like if you just, if you just put prayer on the front of it, then you can gossip all you want. Uh, you've you've got to be careful about that. I heard this statement years ago. I never forgot it. Great men talk about ideas. Average men talk about things. Weak men talk about people. There's a lot higher things to talk about than people's problems, folks. And this shows you the state of our culture in celebrity gossip is so, so prevalent nowadays. There's a lot better things to talk about than the newest celebrity doing whatever or wearing wherever or going wherever. Yeah, I know. But we get all caught up into that. I know. All right, number five. Be good to others. Be good to others or be good to your neighbor. Psalm 15, verse 3, He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor. Evil speaks of a sin that hurts others. So the Bible's basically saying, don't do evil to your neighbor. What's the opposite of doing evil to them? Be good to them. Don't just stop doing the negative, but actively perform the positive and be good to your neighbors. Everywhere you go this week, you should leave a trail of good behind you. Make places look nicer. Don't litter. Don't throw stuff on the ground. Pick up your trash. Clean up after yourself. Be kind to people. Smile. Leave, leave a trail of good behind you. And that's a good ethic. Good way to live. It also goes on to say under this heading nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. Now, reproach is a word that means to charge with a fault in severe language. It's basically an accusation. So don't accuse people lightly. You know, it's amazing how how often people will just accuse others. You know, somebody loses something or they can't find their pen. Who stole my pen? Well, maybe you just forgot where you put it. You know, maybe it rolled and fell on the floor. Why did someone have to steal it? Oh, here it is. You just like accuse the whole class of stealing something. Oh, no, I just dropped it. Adults can be light. They can quickly accuse as well. I know why you did that. No, you don't know why they did that. I know what's in your heart. You don't know what's in their heart. I know why they... No, you, you don't know. But notice the phrasing here. and It even goes deeper if you want to live by biblical ethic. It says, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. The wording here seems to indicate that someone else has laid down a reproach on someone and you walk over and pick it up. What does this mean? Don't quickly believe the gossip. Don't be so quick to pick up an accusation against someone else. You know what so-and-so did? They did this. I can't believe they did that to you. I can't believe they did that to you either. What are we doing? We're taking up the accusation of someone else. And the truth is we can get so upset at people when we weren't even a part of it. We don't know if it's true. And now we're all worked up. You took up reproach. That's right. You know, if someone comes to me and sometimes they have to bring me negative information about someone so, because sometimes I'm part of the solution. Well, I'll, I'll usually say something like this, this. If that's true, 
then we need to take care of that. You mean you don't just believe them? I don't think they're lying, but they may not be right. right. You know, there's a difference. You can be wrong and not lying. Lying, we talked about again this morning, is, is the intention to deceive. But sometimes people are wrong. They may not have seen what they thought they saw. It may not be true what they heard was true. And sometimes people will get upset at me. They'll say, what do you mean if you think it's true? Say, I'm not saying that, that you're not telling me what you believe is true. I just haven't investigated it. You know, there's three sides to every story. There's your side, there's the other side, and the truth is usually about halfway in the middle. Because whether we know it or not, people tend to put themselves in the best light, even subconsciously. You can't believe everything you hear. Well, I saw it on the internet. It must be true. No, it's, it's not true. Bad news. You know, they had my son, he saw a picture recently and made him laugh. It's like a, a quote. You know how they do those quotes online? They have little pictures of a quote. It had a, a quote of Abraham Lincoln and the date of his birth and the date of his death. And it said, you can't believe everything you read on the internet. That's funny because there was no internet when Abraham Lincoln was president, right? People, you, you can't get caught up in all the drama. Don't take up a reproach against someone else. It may just be none of your business. Or perhaps it should be your business and if God brought you something to your knowledge that needs to be dealt with, you take it to someone who's part of the solution That's or you right. go talk to the person yourself. That's, right. That's the ethical way to handle it. Amen? Do you see how beautiful these foundational truths are? Some people enjoy hurting others. We find that in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 14. We don't have time to develop that. Number six, don't give honor to vile people. Look at Psalm chapter 15 and verse 4. In whose eyes a vile person is contemned or condemned. Do you know not everybody's worthy of respect? Everybody's due a measure of respect as a human. But not everybody should be honored. You know, one reason there's all this craziness in the world today is because people gave honor to crazy ideas. And the first time someone said that I can change my gender by just making a statement, the right thing to say was, no, that's not true. And if they push it, when someone wants to put a drag queen in front of your second grader, someone needs to look at that and say, that's nuts. That's crazy. But what do we do? Drag queens are being elevated. The people that have the craziest ideas are actually being elevated and magnified. What happens when you magnify vile people? The Bible says in Psalm chapter 12 and verse 8, look right over at it. Psalm chapter 12 and verse 8. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. You get what you emphasize. If you emphasize, if you exalt vile people, you get more of them. If you exalt craziness, you get more of it. 
If you exalt wickedness, you get more of it. That's why God says if you want to be a person of biblical ethics, you need to be able to look at people and say, I don't respect that. I'm not going to honor you. I'm not going to lift you up. It's nothing personal, but I do not respect vileness. And that's not something that's wrong. It's actually ethical. We should not lift up or honor ungodly people. Watch this. Regardless of their intelligence or abilities. We'll lift up a vile basketball player who sleeps around like a junkyard dog, has a filthy mouth, but because he's got a 40-inch vertical and he's, he's six-whatever tall, we'll put posters on the wall, we'll wear their jerseys around. I'm not against it, and I'm not, I'm not preaching against this. I'm just telling you why. You often won't see me wearing someone's jersey around. I will wear around hats of teams that I'm a fan of, the Boston teams and such, I typically don't wear jerseys of individuals because almost in every case, they're vile people. We don't have posters in our house of of sports figures and other people. Why? Because nine times out of ten, they're vile. Now, if you do that, I'm not necessarily, I'm not, not, not preaching against you. I'm just saying part of my ethic is I don't want to lift up vile people. That's what God says. But look at number seven. Honor those that fear the Lord. So this is kind of the opposite of that, but we make it separate because honoring vile people is, is so common today. When it wasn't, it, it wasn't common. It used to be that vile people were ashamed of their sin, and now they're proud of it. Why are they proud of it? Because it gets them fame and fortune. But we need to, number seven, honor those that fear the Lord. Make heroes of godly people, because those people are rare and priceless. Listen to this verse, Proverbs 31, 30. Favor is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. I don't want to get too graphic here tonight. But in our day and age today, the way women are praised, the way they get attention is by showing off their body. Wearing stuff as tight as it can get, as low as it can go, as high as it can be, see-through. Social media is filled with twerking rear ends and, and, and immodest tops, and they get famous because of it. And it's wicked. And every person in this room, you ought to make a covenant with your eyes that you're not going to look at that junk. You women here tonight are the ones that deserve praise. You ladies who are faithful faithful wives and faithful moms and trying to rear your families for the Lord who are godly, who try to dress modestly, who act like a lady, who don't have a trucker's mouth, who aren't, aren't, aren't just going against everything that God has said to do. You're the people trying to please the Lord. You're the ladies that deserve praise. You are priceless. You are rare. And I respect you. Amen.
The Bible says right there, favor is deceitful. You know, you can treat someone nice for a little bit just to, to get what you want. And some ladies will do that. The Bible says the adulteress hunts for the precious life. Men, don't be surprised if sometime in your life you have some temptress come in your life and try to tempt you to do wrong. You better not fall for it. His favor is deceitful. Beauty's vain. You know, there are beautiful women that misuse their beauty that God gave them to tempt others. And that's vain. You know, one of these days, those things you're willing to sell your soul for, they're not going to be the same. No, no, sir. The wrinkles set in. The hair gets thin. Amen. Everything. (laughs) Brother Pash used to have a figure, I'm telling you. But uh, <laughs> no way! I don't the, the the just broke Dennis's heart. The uh, the skin the skin gets different. The body begins to ache. The shoulders begin to stoop. And if you're not careful, that very thing that you sold your soul for, it's not going to be around long. Favor's deceitful. Beauty's vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. That's right. Isn't that a blessing. What about the men? Psalm 112.1, praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. A faithful man is hard to find, Proverbs says. You men in this room who are in church on a Sunday night, you're trying to please the Lord. You are worth your weight in gold. You are a rare commodity. And I respect you. And you deserve honor. That's what the Bible says. Let's finish with these last few. Is this helping you? Look at Psalm 15.4. In whose eyes a vile person is condemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. And then number eight. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. This is number eight. Keep your word when it hurts. Keep your word when it hurts. You know, it's easy to make promises. It's hard to keep them. It's easy to say you're going to do something when it seems convenient, but what happens when that day comes or it's further into the week or the time comes to fulfill what you said, now it's inconvenient. What if you said you were going to do something, but now it costs more than it did when you promised? What if you said you are going to do something, but now it's going to take more time? Now it's more complicated. In our day and age today, people have no problem saying they're going to do something, and as soon as it gets difficult, they say, well, I didn't mean that. That's why this verse is so powerful. He that sweareth to his own hurt. I'll do what I said, even if it costs me more than I expected it to. Those people are rare, aren't they? It used to be said that your word is your bond. People's word used to mean something. Your word was your testimony. We need to do what we said when it's inconvenient. What if God moves in your heart and you tell God you're going to do something, but you didn't really know what it meant at that moment, and so you're ready to back out? Can I tell you God knew exactly what it was going to cost when he told you to do it? You know, you got married... And at an altar somewhere, you said, thus and so, you made vows. You said, well, I didn't know it was going to mean this. In sickness and in health, I didn't know it was going to mean this. 
in poverty and wealth. I didn't mean it was going to, I didn't know it was going to mean this. Keep the only unto others so long as we both shall live. I didn't know it was going to mean this. No. Keep your word, even when it hurts. Keep your word when the marriage is tough. Take care of those kids when you don't know how to do it. Do what you said you were going to do. Be where you said you were going to be. Do what you said you were going to do. And if you can't, you're providentially hindered. Communicate with the person and say, hey, I blew it. I didn't keep my word. Keep your word when it hurts. It's hard to keep your word sometimes. But we need to do it. Number nine. Don't use money to control people. Don't use money to control people. Look at verse 5. He that putteth not out his money to usury. Usury speaks of interest on loaned money. It's not that it's... I don't believe this verse is saying that it's wrong to, to charge interest in some cases. Now, it was wrong in the Old Testament for the Israelites to charge interest to Israelites. God forbid that. I don't think... I don't think it's wrong to charge interest. I think there's places in the Bible. Matter of fact, in the New Testament, Jesus promoted it. You should have at least taken my talent and give it to the banker so I could have usury. You should have at least earned interest on it. I think what the Bible's saying here and what the Bible teaches about usury throughout Scripture is you don't use money to control people. The Bible says in Proverbs 22, 7, the rich, rich ruleth over the poor, the borrow is servant to the lender. And whenever you have someone's money or you're charging them interest, it's easy to become their master. And God didn't want that for us. Use money, be generous, lend it if you need to at, at the, the appropriate rates. But don't use money to control people. That's right. I think it also means don't make merchandise of people. People are more important than money, and we need to treat them as such. Amen. All right, number 10, and lastly, don't take bribes. Proverbs 15, 5, He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent, this speaks of bribes. Don't take bribes. Bribes change your heart. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 3, talks about the sons who took bribes and it perverted their judgment. When you take bribes from people, there's a difference between a reward and a bribe. A reward is a, a benefit for doing something good. A bribe is an enticement to do something wrong. And if you're willing to do wrong for money or possessions, then you're in trouble, friend. Your ethical system is broken. Because money's just not that important. Having the right character, pleasing God with your life is more important than any amount of money. Do this thought experiment. How much money would it take for you to curse God and walk away from Him? You might be surprised that some people have a price. Yes, true. They've just never considered it until the moment comes and they take it. Now they regret it later. Anybody know of a man named Judas? Yes. Judas walked with Christ for three and a half years, 
saw every miracle set at his table. The very night he betrayed him, he sat and ate dinner with the Savior. But he got so upset at him, so conflicted in his heart, and that's a whole other message, that he said, my price is 30 pieces of silver, the price of a common slave. You need to settle in your mind, I don't take bribes, I won't offend my God for any amount of money, and there's no price on my head that I will turn away from God for. I don't care how much money you offer me, I don't care where you offer me to live, it matters not to me the, the benefit package and all of these other things. If you came to me and said, I'll give you $20 million to walk away from God, the answer is no. Hundred million, no. A billion, no. There's not enough money on planet Earth. There's not enough gold in the soil. There's not enough diamonds under uh, underground for me to turn away from the Savior who loved me and gave Himself for me. That person has biblical ethics, but you never settle those until you're confronted with it. Let me give you the ten again. Ten foundational biblical ethics, and these are the foundation of all other ethics in the Bible. And, of course, they're consistent with the Ten Commandments and others. They build upon them. Number one, walk uprightly. Number two, work righteousness. Number three, speak the truth in your heart. Be honest with yourself. Number four, don't talk about people behind their backs. Number five, be good to your neighbor. Number six, don't give honor to vile people. Number seven, honor those that fear the Lord. Number eight, keep your word when it hurts. Number nine, don't use money to control others. And number 10, don't take bribes. If we just settle those 10 things, look once more at the promise, the last sentence in verse 15. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. What a promise. And that promise is ours. Let's ask God's help to live by biblical ethics. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth in your word. Thank you for the privilege that we have to to love you and serve you. And Lord, this is not part of our sinful nature. These things are the antithesis of the flesh, but they are the foundation of a biblical ethic, and we ask that you'd help us tonight to actively and intentionally put these things in our lives to make them a part of our our daily routine, part of the moral system that governs our, our behavior and our manners, our interactions with others. And Lord, I believe you'll keep your promise. People that do these things are truly blessed and it protects us from an awful lot of heartache. 